Welcome to Build to Lead, forming the healthcare leaders of tomorrow. Back at you for season three. There's no denying that the last two to three years have been tough, and news cycles continue to report on the doom and gloom happening at home and abroad. And today, we want to take a breather from that and reflect on something more positive joy. But what is joy? Joy is energy. Joy is resistance. Joy is being in your mojo. Let's learn together on season three of Built to Lead, getting back to joy. Welcome back to Built to Lead season three, episode five, Relationships and Joy, part two. I'm Mubin. And I'm Matthew. And today we're continuing our conversation with Angela Robertson. This part of the episode focuses on two articles. One about what we can learn about happiness at work from relationships, and the second about ways of overcoming loneliness. Both of these articles are linked in the episode description if you want to check them out. But honestly, Angela uses them to take us on a very different and impactful journey. In all of our episodes, this is particularly the one where the summaries we give in the discussion are more than sufficient. But before we get into that, Matthew, I have a question for you. Do you have any examples of a time where relationships were central to your joy? Yeah, I think I do. But if it's okay, Mubin, I think I'm going to be a little bit like um, Angela and kind of flip the question on its head a bit. <laughs> and maybe talk it. about And maybe even just talk about a situation where a relationship wasn't there and needed to be. So even maybe just going back to my undergrad experience, did a double major in neuroscience um, and management. I don't know what I was really thinking, but during that time, I didn't necessarily prioritize our relationships and building networks because I was pretty much too focused on school. And because I went to school in Scarborough, I lived all the way in North York. It was about a two hour bus ride home. And I was pretty much just waiting to go back home for some good jerk chicken and rice and peas. So it was kind of an error on my part that I didn't necessarily put that emphasis on relationships. Um, but it's not even necessarily just relationships for me, what I could have done and learned through helping people as well. So when I ended up doing my master's, um, that was something that I was seeking to learn how to be better at. And I don't think I necessarily mastered it. Like even just listening to this conversation with Angela, I learned so much, but I did definitely improve. Um, I made some great friends, uh, great connections in this amazing cohort. Shout out to the class of 2020, if you're listening, greatest cohort ever. Uh, but I won't go there, Mobin. I know you're great too. Um, but even honestly, I think I talked about it before in a couple of seasons uh, before is that in terms of, let's say, our WhatsApp group for our cohort, like it's still going strong. I've never had that privilege during my undergrad, but now because of the relationships we built in this class, let's say if anyone has a question at work, because we're all going through struggles at work and we're kind of stumped. Somebody just put something in um, the group chat, like what's a model? How do I do this? One or two people are stepping up. So yeah, call me, email. And then even when somebody gets promoted, like the notifications are just going off. So it's pretty cool. That is a lovely story. I really appreciate you sharing that, Matthew. Absolutely right. I think important, uh, I think relationships are so, so important. And ultimately, they bring us closer together as one collective unit. And to talk a little bit more about relationships, without a further ado, here's part two. Building on the conversation on relationships and joy and kind of moving the dial a little bit to help guide our listeners and provide actionable tips around building meaningful relationships, we have been framing discussions around different articles. So today we wanted to tackle two, one around the secrets to happiness at work through relationships, which we'll get into just in a bit, and on the contrary, overcoming loneliness. 
So for listeners, uh, you can find the links to the full articles in our episode description. But don't worry, we'll summarize as we go. So today's articles are called Three, Se- Three Secrets to Happiness at Work, From Relationship to Feeling Lonely, um, and 18 Ways to Overcome Loneliness. So the first article that we're going to talk about is a Forbes article, which talks about what we can learn about making good relationships work by looking at them as good romantic relationships. To be honest, it was an interesting one when I read it at first. A little uncomforting, but a different view. Um, So firstly, the article takes us through recognizing the importance of relationships in, in themselves and how we can interact with people within and outside the office, or in some cases for healthcare leaders, their respective practices. So when we reflect on that self-awareness through the lens of control, closeness, and recognition, secondly, it takes us through how relationships um, we build today influence our day-to-day activity. So kind of challenging those dichotomies which exist today, whether we can be happy or we cannot be happy, yet emphasizing that our relationships need to contribute to our sense of meaning and purpose at work, which you've talked about, uh, Angela, a little bit before. And then finally, it emphasizes the importance of playfulness, which ignites team bonding and help mitigate that social atrophy um, we're experiencing in the Zoom-dominated COVID-19 era. So Angela, take us through what you think when you read this article and if you rather agree or disagree with the take on this article and if she's even missing anything. I found the article interesting. I also found it, I thought, "Mm, that's kind of light. That's kind of light. That's kind of light. But again, the reason why why I say that is because because I come to this thing of joy and happiness as, 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 as a political act. As an act of resistance, I read it and found a lot of the the framing resided with the self and the individual coming to joy, kind of divorced from a macro um, system um, around um, that individual. So, 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 so I I, I appreciated the th- very much the three the three thematics. Um, and strategies that were offered around the value of relationships, the value of workplace alignment with self and purpose, and um, and and the value of 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 play together in a workplace context, um, and how that can build and deepen and strengthen in terms of relationships and bring about joy. But I found that in order for those things to happen and to be successful workplaces in particular, because this is the context, workplaces must contend with what are the sites of inequalities in the workplace that doesn't make it possible for everybody to participate in those three acts in building relationships, being a part of networks for joy and having alignment around um, in terms of purpose Um, and self, because we know that workplaces um, should be places where there is um, diversity, and not all workplaces have that. Some workplaces really push a kind of a monoculture as opposed to a diverse culture, and we need to be mindful about that, because how we play doesn't need doesn't may not look all the same and if the play is pushing one particular approach in a workplace then you run the risk of excluding certain populations and certain folks and if the play 
is not inclusive, then you also run the risk of marginalizing um, certain people in, in the organization. So I would have appreciated bringing a kind of an equity lens to those three thematics around secrets to happiness at work. So, so that when I read it, was that was my reflection around mindfulness, but also the thing for me that was missing. And even as a leader, you're talking about that equity. How do we even bring that equity lens for our, our workplaces? So let's say it's that playfulness. Some practically, how would we do that Like for a diverse, diverse group? Mm-hmm. So I think we, one, need to acknowledge that not everyone will want to participate in that kind of play and what is see and what is play like first of all we need to define what is it that is going to be this thing about playing together so we need to first unpack what exactly does that look like and and the offering of what play is may need to be very wide so for some folks you know play together is you know folks going out together after work in some social setting play together maybe activities that happen inside the workplace where folks come together and uh, and unpack or work on particular you know thematics of awareness together inside um inside the workplace inside the organization and play together for some people may mean that they go off and small clusters of groups within a workplace form a, a, a club, a team of some, you know, it may be sports, it may not be sports related, it may be linked to a particular activity. So the range of things that could be done may, may vary. It could be as well that the play isn't necessarily the, that kind of a regular structured activity, but it may mean that, okay, so there's a show at the Art Gallery of Ontario that is a brilliant show by an Indigenous artist. And as part of our collective it building awareness about indigenous um, communities, indigenous um, cultures, indigenous art production is that as a group, we're convening something as a workplace and those who can come, come, and it becomes part of an education, awareness and engagement activity. So I think those are some of the different ways that I think the play could look because for, for, for some folks, the play needs to be attached to a meaning that brings value back for the workplace that's not just exclusively about the deepening of relationship, the interpersonal relationship. So the play can be valuable for the interpersonal relationship, getting to know Matthew, what Matthew likes. Matthew's got brothers and sisters and other relations um, and, and knowing the knowing um, the getting to know at that level, but then there's also the getting to know the politics and the background and the history of the people you work with, then that also can have a deep impact on how we come and work together and how we plan and think through what the work is on the projects that we come together to to, to build. I just wanted to just wanted to comment on something that really stood out. And I think you've challenged a lot of us, even young professionals in this conversation. And it's to actually know who you work with and not just focus on the work in itself, right? Like get to know who you work with. What are kind of how do they identify kind of what are some things that excite them? What are some things that quote unquote trigger them? Um, what are some things that, you know, what what are some 
critical question like what are some things that you both like doing together finding those commonalities and then that is what builds a relationship where where it's yeah. cohesive right you're not doing yeah. things based on assumptions but rather you are asking to to know and then building on that yeah. curiosity so i i just yeah. i just wanted to share that because as you were talking that really stood out and i think that's a challenge for me to go back to work and, and ask those those i honestly could be challenging questions yeah <laughs> yeah Yeah. And I, I think even what you're saying, Angela, in terms of bringing utility to the play, I think that's so important too, because a lot of problems too or work relationships is that we don't really understand the other person. So that was makes it harder for us to find that synergy, those working relationships. So I think play is useful and then like understanding the other person. Like I love the idea of going to the HEO, learning more about indigenous people. And maybe it's another group, maybe that we bring in food from another culture and just these small wins as you're talking about can help build that cohesiveness, build that coalition, coalitions, and then the resistance yeah. is a lot stronger too. Yeah, and I think as well, and the reason why this is kind of where I reside, it doesn't mean that this is the way, this is just one way, is I think that sometimes in workplaces, we can do convenings around the social, building the social spaces for staff to come together, to get to know you, get to know all about you, in in very profoundry ways right so we have the lunches we have the brown bag you know um lunchtime chat but there isn't an intentionality about what are we doing this for what are we trying to achieve with these social engagements and creating opportunities to get to know um, because really what we are really trying to achieve is we are trying to build and deepen um, I think um, healthy workplace culture and we're trying to build the ability to have good collegial collaborative work happens that can be easy but we are also trying to build those relationships so that when conflicts occur because we are human we are living in dynamic workplaces where conflicts will occur so when you have relationship and conflicts occur then you have a better ability to face the conflict move through the conflict and come out at a different side with a deepening of relationship because there was some relationship and basis of trust to be able to tackle the conflict the disagreement etc and really that those for me are the intentional things that why for me i want to build relationships and and to, to and to build play into the world because this is these are the things that it becomes important for and just being intentional as you said we're building those healthy workplace is important like being intentional also in our personal self like that self-care and especially just thinking about relationships it's hard to talk about it but in this post-pandemic era like mm -hmm. loneliness as we talk about that the second article was something that was really pretty much like a plague that was happening. And we really just got to understand as health in general, like it wasn't something that was conducive to our health and work environments. So it really affected us as leaders, it affected us as line workers, participants in the system, and just generally mm -hmm. people, as, a, as you said, as humanity. And in the one Harvard Business um, Study Review that began in um, 1938 and spanned from all the way into 2007, showed that the biggest factor in predicting health outcomes at the age of 80 um, was their satisfaction with their relationships at the age of 50. So it just shows how early on those relationships play a huge role 
and that loneliness, like if we don't confront it early, can have some significant um, consequences later and later down in our mm -hmm. um, in our life. And in 2019, Psychology Today published 18 tips to overcoming loneliness that works well both in the professional and um, personal context. So this could be something like maybe just practicing self-kindness, maybe it's just self-awareness or self-affirmation, um, leveraging our spare time to intentionally create those social moments and uh, vision boarding. Um, and also just to increasing our circles through things like volunteering and joining new groups. So in your experience, Angela, what have you found the biggest challenges to expand these, these to expanding these relationships and these networks and how have you overcome them? So first on the, on the question of, um, and on the issue of loneliness. Yeah. On the issue of loneliness, I, I read the piece and I, uh, in, in, in preparation, in thinking about loneliness, one of the things that produce significant loneliness and isolation is poverty. So when in healthcare or in social service, in long-term care, in community building work, we talk about breaking social, social isolation and loneliness. I think that we must talk about ending poverty because poverty is what deprives you on a great level of being able to participate in activities that can break social isolation and have you be in community. So simple things like going out to coffee with a friend. For folks who are on social assistance, for folks who are unsheltered and homeless, those things become luxuries. When the ability to connect in networks, to connect in community, become things of luxury, that it's only people who are resourced um, can have access to them is then we are also saying that it's only a certain group of people who will have access to happiness, who will have access to joy, and who will be connected to community. And uh, so, so therefore, again, I, you know, my common theme and thread is about the politics of joy and the politics of loneliness and the politics of isolation. So, so that's, a, that's a comment for me on that article around feeling lonely and discovering, you know, ways to overcome loneliness is we need to also address in that the material conditions of folks to participate in community life. And we also need to challenge the fact that participation in community life has become monetized in if you don't have money to do certain things, you can participate. And then some of the spaces that are public spaces that you don't have to pay money for is that they are so heavily, they're becoming so heavily regulated and monitored and surveilled to ensure that it is people with resources who can participate in them. So for example, I think about public parks and public spaces. So right now in the city, we have a big thing going on, um, the city, Toronto, where we are. We have a, a significant thing going on about the, the ability for homeless folks to be in parks. So there are ways sometimes, because somehow parks need to be these uh, sanitized, protected spaces for folks who may 
look like us and have resources like us who can be in there and be appropriate. Yeah. So just thinking about that and, and, and how, how the ability to participate in public life and public space, as I said, is now dependent on being resourced to your, 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 your question around in terms of the challenge to expanding relationships to tackle and or address sites of loneliness is I think that we build, you know, so, so, so the example that I use is I think about um, um, housing um, for folks who are unsheltered and homeless in this city. And we know that one of the response to homelessness is housing. But another response that we often don't plan is the ability to build community. Because it is in building community where you build attachment, where you break um, loneliness, where you break isolation. So it's not just about the ability to have a room of one's own. It is also about the ability to be in community. And, um, and, and to support the building of community, because it is in the building of community where I think there is the ability to really experience joy and be joyful with others, that there's a great deal of comfort that comes with um, being in the company of others. And there is the ability to also mobilize, and again, I come back to the politics question, because there is the ability to mobilize when you have community, because you, um, you have the ability to, to not be alone in advancing certain efforts, certain struggles, certain sites of resistance. So, so for me, the building community is important, and the, 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 the challenge I think to that is we have become so individualist, individual focus and not collective oriented in our thinking about addressing loneliness. We think about the individual and what the individual needs to do and not necessarily what we need to do collectively to reorient our thinking about building community because the community of women who I know from the early days of Black Women's Collective are the community of women who I am still connected to. While I may not see them on a daily basis, I know that they're there at all times if that call is needed. And if loneliness or aloneness, because there's being alone and then there's being lonely, if loneliness visits me, I know that there is a community I can call on. And that was built deliberately because of that kind of collective activism. Well, honestly, when you first started, uh, when we first started this podcast, honestly, like there's there's been this ignition that you've started within me. I'm going to speak on my behalf where when you said joy is political, now that I see the article, now I'm revisiting it, it's right in front of me and I'm revisiting it. And almost every single 18 outcome starts with you. It's like rethink how you spend your time, do more things with people. And I'm thinking to myself, like how, if one is feeling lonely and they're experiencing loneliness, how are they going to rethink how to spend time with people? How are they going to do more? How are they going to find things that they love? 
Huh. Right? It's 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 like almost going back to victim blaming that you are lonely, yes. therefore yes. find your own yes. way yes. out, kind of. And what you what you've what you've done for yeah. me now is critically think about kind of and and it's a two-way street here, right? Like you if you see someone who might be off a little bit, uh and mm-hmm. is feeling off, sorry, you go to them and you ask critical questions or questions that will evoke some form of curiosity for them mm-hmm. to feel like mm-hmm. they are not mm-hmm. lonely. Yeah. Right? And it's and that then becomes a meaningful relationships because you are intentionally building yeah. on it. And, and so you've really made me go into that mindset. So that'd be my one critique for this article where it's maybe start with yes. putting more yes. we <laughs> instead you of yeah. you, you, yeah, you. Yeah, in yeah. It. No, it's a we. It's we and it's community. And and again again it's again it's 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 my orientation and you know we all come from spaces where we talk about the village raised the child but when the child becomes an adult it's you hey you you are on your own <laughs> you figure that out <laughs> and I think I think we should always um, we should always have a village um, I think I think we should we should always have a village um, because there is such there is such psychological safety um, in knowing that you have um, a community and and or you have communities. It doesn't need to be one space. It can be multiple spaces. Um, but there's such value in knowing that, and and therefore it, it and therefore we, we we then can can make some of the distinction between um, being alone. And being lonely, there are times where I am alone, and you know, heavens, I love it. It's like, oh my God, yes. Um, um, and but 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 let's not confuse, the, you know, the being alone with being lonely, because being lonely for me um, sometimes really mean being without community and being without a village, and and that's a hard place. That's a hard place. Well, thank you, Angela, for just everything that you're sharing for us, as Mobina is saying. I think we're really challenged uh, looking at joy as an action, as you're saying, joy as resistance, as we're talking about joy as that community. So even that article, Mobin, just looking at it, we could just flip it. So everything about as leaders, emerging leaders, when you're reading these articles, how do you inspire this in other people? Because this is what you want to bring about. So it's not about how do you inspire yeah. hope in yeah. you? Like, how do you yeah. bring that out in yeah. other people? So, um... I, I, you know, I, I don't know if we're we're, we're at the end here, um, but but I, I really appreciate the fact that you've kind of given me the space to, to to come at it this way, because so much of the talk about joy is residing with the individual. Um, it's what do I need to do for my self care. It gets monetized in what I need to do, how I need to do it. And it is divorced from, yeah, from people and community around me and the, the position that they're in. And as I said um, at the beginning is if I am very happy in the face of other people's unhappiness and dispossession around me, that's a problem. That's a serious disconnect. And that says something not just about me, but it says something about the society that we live in, that we would see that and think that that is okay, yeah? Um, and that we would even promote that, you know? And and a lot of what I see is promoting that kind of joy for self, um, divorced from the unhappiness 
of what is around us. And um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no. So thank you. Thank you. No, absolutely. I think you've given us so many gems throughout the the past kind of um, the the past questions and and kind of responses that we're going to take away a lot. So as we near today, the end of today's podcast episode in season three, uh, we have introduced a new segment called Rapid Fire. So Matt and I will ask you five questions where you'll have to answer each one of them in either a couple of words or uh, or one sentence. Now we haven't told you about this. <laughs> Angela, you look shocked. <laughs> so we haven't told you about this, but this will be a fun way to get to know you a little deeper and end the episode with some excitement. Um, Angela, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not quite. This is a surprise. Remember, okay, remember right, Angela, right. we want to make sure okay. that you're happy, you're happy too. So. <laughs> Don't be nervous. The questions are not that difficult. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's the first question for you. Who is your inspiration and why? My grandmother, and her name is um, Violet Maud Harris, um, a.k.a. Aunt Kitty. And, and why? Because she is a woman who was very clear, very clear that though she, she wasn't literate in um, reading and writing, is she was very clear about... Um, her right to justice and respect and to claiming space. And I, I thought, you know, as somebody who is not literate in reading and writing, to have such a command is, is something to, to, to live to, is something to always live to and to gesture to. So she's my inspiration. Yes, shout out to Aunt Kitty. It's a very long day and you just got home. What is the very first thing that you do? I wash the day off. Ooh. Um, yeah, no, no, no. It's a, it, it's a bit of a ritual. Um, one could say that it may be a bit of an OCD kind of thing. Um, but I, if it's a long day and it's a hard day, is I, I wash the, and I could just come in, I wash the day off. That's lovely. Uh, the next question, what is one thing or person in your life that is bringing you joy right now? Um, person bringing me joy right now is um, a young um, a young sister, um, young black woman artist, Esma Mahmoud, um, young um, Canadian Toronto artist hailing out of London, Ontario. And she's got a show on right now, I think in New York that just was launched last week. And, and, and I think it is... Um, yeah, yeah, she brings me she brings me joy. She brings me joy because I think the young um, young artists and art always show us um, the possibility. Um, and, 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 and I believe you know artists have a way of seeing what is possible and to imagine what is possible. Um, that even when we in the struggle can't see our way out of it um, and, and really, really appreciate, really appreciate what she is, what she's, what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. The arts are definitely inspirational. And our next question is, what is one thing a leader can do or say to bring joy to their team? I trust you because um, with trust, 
a lot of things are possible. And with trust, failure can happen and we can learn from failure. And but without trust, if we fail, then boy, you're in a hard place. Um, so yeah, so I think I trust you. That's really nice. That's lovely. And Angela, I'm going to trust you with this last question. Um, it might be a hard one. So fill in the blank. Joy is. Joy is resistance. Yes. Joy is resistance. That, that's definitely going to become a post for us <laughs> in our marketing and it's going to go out there. It's, joy is resistance. Angela, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and sharing your perspectives, experience, and stories on how the theme of relationships have changed your life um, and, and how we can make meaningful relationships uh, in the future of healthcare as healthcare leaders. Um, as we go forward, it is important for us to remember the importance of creating meaningful relationships, integrating playfulness as we build them. And something that I'm going to take uh, away personally is, is what Angela said, work does not need to be confined by the workplace. So let us go outside that workplace, develop, grow, build, and bring people in rather than thinking that it's all about us. Angela, before we go, is there anything you would like to promote to our listeners and, and any suggest any ways of connecting with you to learn more about your work? wouldn't necessarily say anything to connect with me and about the work, um, but more so to say to to the listeners that we have we had we have a lot of joy making resistant work resistance work that we need to do in coming out of this pandemic and that we need to make we need to make that our project because the pandemic has brought lots of unhappiness it has also spotlighted the sites where unhappiness resides um, and that we should use this moment to continue to make much good, joyful trouble. Well, I, I, you best believe that Matt and I are, are going to partake in this, in this journey. Angela, thank you so Definitely. much. Again, it has been such a joy for us to be with you, connect and build with you, and, and honestly build a strong relationship with you here today. Thank you so much. No, thank you deeply. Thank you, thank deeply. you Angela. Thank you deeply. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was some truly impactful conversation. A hundred percent. And as we mentioned at the very start of last week's episode, joy from relationships is really a two-way street. And what we get is what we give. And what I really loved about this discussion with Angela was that it really just focused on what we can give. So that was like the, the premise, like that was what was the focus. And in this healthcare climate, we often find ourselves in the now. And it might feel harder than ever to give might feel harder than ever to build and even to focus outside of ourselves. And this conversation has been a great reminder, especially for me, that taking the time to take care of someone else is just as important of being joyful as in taking care of ourselves, even when it's not the easiest thing to do. And it is our hope for you listeners that this half an hour brought you joy in some way, bringing it to you brings us joy. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Build to Lead. We'll see you next week when we kick off a conversation about positive emotion. Until then, we wish you a smile, a laugh, and invite you to cause some good trouble, as Angela would put it. Most of all, we wish you joy. Thank you for joining us on Built to Lead, Season 3, 
Getting Back to Joy. Built to Lead is created and hosted by Matthew Goldberg and co-hosted by Mubin Lalani. Built to Lead is a companion podcast to the Vernissage Health Dialogue series at the Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Tell us what you thought about this week's episode. You can find us on LinkedIn at Vernissage Health and on Instagram at Vernissage Health. You'll find both of these in the episode description. Today's episode was produced by Hannah Hodgins and Tony Deshenza. With music composed by Sindhu. Special thanks to Wendy Nelson, Senior Fellow at the Institute for Health Policy Management and Evaluation.